I'm so glad you come out today. At our Good Friday service, this really is holy ground. As we look at the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, if you have a Bible, we're going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. We've been in Luke's Gospel this week, Palm Sunday, as he rode into Jerusalem. The people were crying out a great multitude, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know that in his last week of his ministry, during Passover, we spoke about how Jesus went into the temple and cleansed the temple on Sunday. We looked at that account and and why he did that. But there was a lot that was going on. He had told his disciples that he is going to be crucified and as he's handed over to the chief priests and the elders and he's going to rise again after three days after they put him to death. The disciples don't understand what's all going on. Even in the upper room discourse that we have in the Gospels, we know that the disciples are still arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. So Jesus, in that upper room, not only instituting the Lord's Supper, but he would also gird himself with a towel. He would wash the feet of the disciples, and he would say that I've set this in an example for you, that that a servant is not above his master. So Jesus, as he talks to them about being great in the kingdom of God, the disciples are very confused. They, they, they don't understand everything that's going on. Jesus said that you're all going to be made to run away because of me on this night, and one of you is going to betray me, and that would be, of course, Judas. We know that Peter was told that you're going to deny me, which Peter would do three times. And as they would make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus would cross the Kedron. Kedron means murky, dark, where the Passover lambs that were being uh, sacrificed for Passover, and we talked about this on Sunday, that the blood would flow from the Temple Mount into that brook called the Kedron, which means muddy. And as Jesus stepped over that brook, seeing the blood that would be mixed in with the water, I wonder what he thought knowing that the next day that they would put a sword up into his side and pull it out, and the blood and the water would come out. We know that Jesus in the garden there, as he prayed and sweat drops, great uh, drops, uh, sweats, drops of blood, and, and as he would find the disciples sleeping, the soldiers would come, a detachment of troops, many of them with torches and, and uh, you know, clubs to come to arrest them, led by the betrayer Judas. And as they came, it was Peter that pulled out a sword, trying to defend the Lord, trying to be strong in his own energy and effort. And it was Jesus that said, Peter, put the sword away. Don't you know that I can call down 12 legions of angels? All he had to simply do was speak it. But I will take on the cup of suffering, and I will take on that cup that the Father has given to me. And so Jesus would be bound up. He would go through a series of six trials, three before the religious council, before Annas, the power behind the high priestly office, before the Sanhedrin, where they would condemn him to death and begin to beat him as they put uh, a cover over his face and they, they beat him with their fists. And then the next morning, the official reading of the Sanhedrin council, the religious leaders, condemning him to death. And then he's handed over to Pilate. He would go through a series of three trials through the Roman authorities. It would lead to him being scourged, and they made a crown of thorns that they pounded over 
his head, lacerating his scalp. Isaiah the prophet would say 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53, that indeed he was like the lamb that was led to the slaughter. We know that Isaiah would also prophesy in this book that he was marred more than any other man. They would pull out his beard. And as he stood before the crowd, that it was, it was Pontius Pilate, they would say, behold the man. Look what they've done to him. And the crowd would cry out, crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us. It was just a few days before that, that the multitudes, the whole city came out and were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would lead him through the narrow streets of Jerusalem as it was Pilate that washed his hands and said that he will be crucified, satisfying the crowds that were crying out, crucify him. And he would be led down the narrow streets of Jerusalem called the Via Della Rosa, the Way of Sorrows, and out the Damascus Gate. We know that he would collapse under the weight of the cross and all the beatings and, the, uh, and everything that had uh, happened to him. And, and then they would take a man, Simon a Cyrenian, that would help him carry the cross to that place of execution that was called Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue or Calvary, the place of the skull. You see, it was a place where Solomon, when he built the first temple, that they would mine it out. And at the edge of that cliff in the, in the mining, it was like a face of a skull. You can see the outline of it even today. We do look at it when we go to Jerusalem. And there, Jesus, he would be pinned to that cross along with two criminals, one on the left and one on the right. And as we read in verse 33 of Luke chapter 23, that we read, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots a fulfillment of Psalm 22. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters in Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And in the next verse, we are told that it would go dark about the sixth hour, darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, because they had crucified the light of the world. And so Jesus here, as he goes to the cross for his sins, you know, one of the wonderful truths about Christianity is, is that God not only revealed to us about himself and his character, that he's the creator. He reveals himself to us in this word that he is real, but he is personal. He is a personal and loving God who created us and reveals himself to us. And one of the things about other religions, particularly Eastern religions, such as Hinduism or Buddhism, is they don't believe God is a personal God. They believe he's impersonal. 
The story of the crucifixion is such an incredible story in that it proves how our God, the creator of all things, that he loves us and he is personal. And he saved us as he sent his son to die for you and for me. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is so clearly demonstrated in the account of the crucifixion. And as they come to that place, Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, Jesus is pinned to that Roman gibbet. And Jesus says something, as we read in verse 34, that it's just amazing that, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't know what they were doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us, For if the rulers of this age had known that they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then, as we read in the text before us, and there's so much that is here, as we see what was taking place, the sayings of Jesus. But I want to focus on this Good Friday for a few moments, the responses from others to Jesus as he's hanging on the cross for their sins, providing forgiveness. In verses 35 and 37, one response came from the religious leaders and from the soldiers as we read it. They would mock him. They sneered, saying he saved others, and, and he himself he cannot save. If he's the Christ, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocking him. And offering him sour wine. If you're the king of the Jews, you save yourself. And that word mocking there means to tease. They're laughing at him. They're taunting. We know that another gospel tells us that the religious leaders are wagging their heads. In other words, there's a lot of emotion that's going on here. The religious leaders that were determined to put him to death. And all of a sudden they got their break when Judas the betrayer came to them and said, what will you give me if I hand him over to you? If I tell you where he's going to be and of course they would see that as their break and as they condemned him in that illegal trial at night so the people wouldn't know what was going on we know that the religious leaders and all their anger and 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 all of their animosity towards Christ that they're shaking their heads a lot of emotion they're they're shaking their fists and saying why don't you save yourself you saved others which I find to be interesting isn't it because that's something that they could not deny that indeed he had saved others. The miracles that that, uh, they had heard about, Lazarus being raised from the dead was very much of a concern of the religious leaders that happened right before this. He saved others, but he himself he could not save. And that was the part that was not right because he simply could have just spoken and those 12 legions of angels would have descended upon Jerusalem and could have destroyed Jerusalem, the whole world. And, and why didn't the Lord do that? I'm sure that if you would have seen the, the heaven and the angels there, I just picture them with sold, you know, swords on, in their sheaths just waiting for the word. Just every struck you know, of his cheek, every time they, they mocked him, every time just waiting. But he didn't. Because he knew that if he would have called down those angels, that you and I would not be saved. And it was because of his love for us. And he knew that, Father, if it is possible, as he prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That he knew that if he didn't go through the sufferings of the cross and shed his blood for you and for me, that you and I would not be saved. 
If people say, where is the love of God? Or how do you know God loves you? You take him to the cross of Calvary. Whereas he took that cross and made his way to that place of execution, I am thoroughly convinced that out of every single one of us that was pictured on his mind in our hearts, and he did it for us, that we might be saved. God is a personal God who cares about us and has provided salvation for us. But here was the mocking, and if he's the Christ, and he saved others, and he cannot save himself, he could have. He could have, but he would go through the sufferings. And as we know that in verse 39, the other uh, response, that then one of the criminals who were hanging, uh, hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. So there was those blaspheming him. And it's interesting that all of the Gospels tell us that there were criminals that were also alongside, one on the left and one on the right. And as Matthew and Mark tells us initially, that they both were mocking Jesus. They both were uh, reviling him, as the scripture says, coming against him. And here it tells us that this one is doing that. They blaspheme him. It means profane talking, cursing, swearing at Jesus. Uh, It means to desecrate. And we know that there are people today that they blaspheme God. We see it all around us. We hear about it. You might know some of those personally. That perhaps are co-workers or maybe neighbors, maybe family members or friends that they blaspheme God. But I want you to remember something. That you keep praying for them and you keep asking the Lord to open up their eyes and soften their hearts. Because I find it interesting that the scriptures and the gospels tell us that initially both were mocking Jesus here. But then we see the third response. And it's an incredible response. Something happened at this time as we read in verse 40. But then the other answering is Dr. Luke here fills us in on what specifically happened with one of those criminals that were hanging next to Jesus. And and the other answering rebuked the other one, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? So initially, both criminals are mocking Jesus, and then one of them, his eyes are opened up. He sees that this truly is the Lord. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward, verse 41, of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that incredible? We know as the soldiers were mocking that later on it says in verse 47 that one of the centurions saw what had happened and he glorified God saying certainly this was a righteous man. We see salvation is happening there even at the cross. And this one in this last hour, in his last moments of his life, somehow he would realize that this truly is the Son of God, that he has done nothing wrong. We see the gospel here. We're getting what we deserve. And as we tell people about the crucifixion of Jesus, we need to make sure that they understand why Jesus came. He came because there's a sin problem. He came because the word of God says that the wages of sin is death, isn't it? It's death. We deserve death. That's what we justly deserve. But Jesus Christ came to give us salvation through his death as he made atonement for our sins. 
He died for you and for me that we might have eternal life as we come to him and call out to him in humility and in the fear of God saying, I need salvation. I need to be forgiven. I am a sinner. And we need to make that message very clear to others. Why Jesus came. He came to take care of the sin problem. He came to die for our sins. And we know that after six hours on that cross, darkness would cover the whole world, not just Jerusalem, but the whole world for three hours. That at the end of that time, he would cry out, it is finished. That I've done the work, I paid the price, as all of our sins were placed upon him and he made atonement for our sins. And this one, this is an incredible, incredible account here that we read about. Of this criminal, somehow, what made him realize that truly, that he is the one that is dying for me? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I think he looked into the eyes of our Lord there on that cross. He was black and blue and bleeding, unrecognizable, face swollen. They pulled out his beard, but somehow in the eyes of Jesus... He said, truly, this one has done nothing wrong. He is sinless, the perfect one who has died for me. And he calls out on the Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If anyone is here today or watching that you've never called out on the name of the Lord, come and realize you need forgiveness. That's why he died for you. I think that most people, you know, in our nation and our culture they know about the crucifixion yeah i know about jesus died on the cross and and christians are celebrating that or remembering that and celebrating that he rose from the grave but how significant it is what it means for them they don't fully realize it or understand it and even those who maybe are mocking him or blaspheming him this one criminal who initially was doing that all of a sudden his eyes were opened up It's important for us to pray for those who are not saved, that, Lord, you open up their eyes, help them to see your love for them and provision for them, that they might come to salvation. Don't give up on them. I know that as Paul the Apostle, and I've mentioned this before in the last couple of studies, but Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, and Corinth was a horrible place. It was full of sin. It was full of depravity, great immorality, uh, Paul would go into the city. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I declare to you the gospel which you also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But Paul would begin that epistle by saying, I didn't come to you when I first came to you. I came when weakness and fear and trembling I didn't come with the excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the message that Paul brought to this city that was very dark and hopeless and full of immorality. And he says, I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. May you give that message to others around you that are linked to you in your life. May that be the message of this church. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the hope of any individual. That is the hope of our nation. That is the hope of the world. 
the light of the world going and dying for our sins. And we know that this isn't the end. That he would breathe his last, as it would be Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two council members that would take the body of Jesus and put him into a tomb nearby. And we're going to read about that, that Jesus Christ dying for our sins. But we don't believe in a dead Savior. We believe in a risen Savior. Amen. And that's what makes Christianity so unique. People say, why do you say that Jesus is the only way? He declared, I am the way. Not a way, but the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Because of the cross and the resurrection. He validated what he did on the cross by rising from the grave. He's the only one who conquered death by rising from the grave, proving that he died for you and for me. Every other religious leader, they're still in their tomb. But there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem because he rose from the grave and he's alive. And he says, come, come to me. Because I provided forgiveness and I love you. And I proved it by going to the cross. And I want you to come to the family of God. To be forgiven. To have a new heart. To be reconciled to the Father. That you might have that spirit of adoption where you cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time, this service. We're so familiar with these portions of Scripture. But sometimes we it can kind of start to lose its impact, and I pray that it never does. And what Jesus did for us, we cannot fully understand. So, Lord, I just pray that you would, this weekend, and even after this weekend, every day be thankful for the cross. Even as we sang this morning, I boast in the cross only, in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And, Lord, as we come in in fear and That is the fear of the Lord in reverence as we come in need. We are thankful that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he rose again to give us a living hope through his resurrection. And I pray that that would be a message of us to others and a message of this church always as Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I pray if there is anyone here today that you have not come and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and forgiveness of sin, that is the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven, to humble yourself and to call out on the Lord for forgiveness, to forgive you of your sins. And you can do that right now. If that means anything to anyone right now, the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again. And the invitation is always to come. If you're not right with the Lord, get right today. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with a God who loves you so much. God in the person of Jesus Christ who died for you. And he is the Lord of all. He is King of kings and Lord of all lords. He created you. He came to save you. And he desires for you to come into the kingdom of God. Even as this thief called out in his last moment so that we can be with him in heaven for all eternity. That we believe in a personal God that will come and give us a new heart and dwell in our hearts. 
You can do that right now. You can call out on him sincerely and say, Jesus, I've come to ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me, for my sins. Forgive me, a sinner. And I believe you rose again and you're speaking to my heart and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me and for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And I thank you for bringing me here and bringing me hope. For all of us, may we leave this place blessing our weekend and just at all the incredible salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would give that message to others as we meet with family this week or go back to work even after this weekend. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, Lord, bless everyone here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So, hey, I know that some of you, you need to get back to work. So we're going to end the service here. If you want to stand, I'll give a benediction, and and then you'll be dismissed if you'll please stand. May the Lord bless you. May he just shine his face upon you as you go out of this place. Share Jesus Christ with others. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you tomorrow at 6 o'clock is uh, Resurrection uh, Weekend. We have 6 o'clock service tomorrow and then Sunday 8, 9, 30, and 11 o'clock. Bring somebody, all right, as we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God bless you as you go your way today.